causes some crazy person to do such a thing. And so we watch the news. We interact with our friends, our co-workers. And we're grasping, grasping for why do these kinds of things happen. And whether it's the largest mass shooting in America that transpires in the course of our week. Or, or maybe it's, it's something that happens overseas in a foreign country. Maybe it's some other kind of devastating uh, terrorist attack or some uh, evil that breaks its way out or just the ongoing killings and murders in certain cities around the world. We ask ourselves, what's going wrong with this country? What's going wrong with the world? What's, what's going wrong with people? And so there's the, tri- the typical discussions that go down all different kinds of avenues, and, and that's all fine. But you know one that I, I, I just continue to peel my ear towards and say, are they going to talk about this? Are, are they going to talk about this? And I don't hear them talking about it. I don't hear them talking about the condition of the human heart without God at the center. I don't hear them talking about what happens when we move God out of the public square and we replace it with every kind of existentialistic, you know, uh, narcotic we can. Just live it up. Today's all you got. You do your thing. There are no truths. There are no values, really, other than what's right for you. And so we slide from a God-centered people to a non-God-centered people and sometimes even to an evil people. But here's the deal. The condition that happens in the hearts of people that we would say, what's going wrong there, is a condition that we all have. You see, we're all human beings. And if we're honest and we examine our own hearts and lives, we realize that there is maybe not evil as you would describe it, but that there is sin, there is brokenness, there is waywardness, There is double-mindedness. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This series we're in, Spiritual Warfare, we want to engage the unseen, enable the believer, and encounter freedom. And today we're going to talk about real-time scheming. Real-time scheming from the one who is our adversary. Last week we led off by saying you have an enemy, and it's not who you think. The enemy is the adversary, Satan himself. But there is a brokenness and a fallenness that exists in all of our world because of the sin that entered in at the garden many thousands years ago. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. Maybe you're familiar with this passage, but this comes to my mind when I'm with my listening ear. Is anybody going to say anything about this in the news? Is there going to be a conversation about this on the street concerning the evil that happened something like this week? Jeremiah 17, 9 says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. You may say, well, that's a little over the top there, Carrie. Are you serious? Examined your own heart recently? Except by God's grace and some of the obedience that's happened in your life to seek him, where would your heart slide? Where would it go if this is all there is in the world and it's just about you? Who really knows how bad the heart is, Jeremiah says. But I, the Lord, search all hearts, all, that would include yours and mine, (laughs) and examine secret motives. God knows. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Sometimes in the midst of a traumatized week such as this, 
your blood gets going and you say, somebody should do something about this. And there's all kinds of conversations that go on with it. I want you to be encouraged today that God knows. God knows the hearts of all people, both the bad and the good. He searches the hearts and God's in control. He is the perfect and just God. His justice will prevail. But we have to acknowledge up front that there is a heart condition, that the human heart is most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. And that's where some of our leaning has to begin when we look at spiritual warfare and an understanding the enemy and understanding the evil that's prominent and prevails without, uh, throughout our world. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, goes on to sort of expand on the reality of the world in which we live and the condition, the warfare we're a part of. This was written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had been around a little bit, had he not? And uh, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. As he wrote those letters to people and churches in different parts of the Mediterranean area, and uh, he himself encountered people that uh, were maybe religious, but people were non-religious. He had the Greek culture and everything else going on. The Apostle Paul knew people. And he says this in Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. As for you, and whenever you see you, you can put your name there. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Dead. Now, what does he mean by that? You're flatlined. There's a movie out now again, right? Flatline. What's flatline mean? There's no pulse. And so if you look at your life spiritually, you look at other people, or you try to explain why evil exists in the world, friends, left unto ourselves, and what's happened, being born in sin in the fall, we are dead, dead flatlined. And maybe you remember a time in your life where you were spiritually dead, yeah, you did the motions, you did a lot of things going on in life, you know, earned the paycheck, kept the family happy, but there was deadness in you. So Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Ooh, pretty strong indictment there. I want to pull out a couple, three things here. He says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Follow the ways of this world means the mindset. We are bombarded, whether it's by advertisement or by uh, our relational connections, whatever it may be. This is what you need. You deserve this, right? Or go this route. Pursue this. We are in a world where we are being indoctrinated by the ways of this world. And then he says a little bit later in this passage that all of us, um, are gratif- they were gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Now, that doesn't mean the stuff that's covering all of our uh, our muscles and blood vessels. The flesh means the inner part of the human being. The flesh referring to the sinful nature that's broken. Every little child that I know that ever grew up, as cute as the baby was up here this morning, will come to a place where they go, mine, me. There is a self-centeredness because we all have a sinful nature. And so Paul's just acknowledging, hey, I've been around. I've seen a lot of people, been in a lot of countries. 
seen the ups and downs, seen a lot of evil. I've seen a lot of good too, but hey, here's the reality. Um, we're dead in our transgressions and sins. A couple things. Ways of the world, gratifying of the flesh, the sinful nature. But then there's a third thing that's in the middle here. Do you notice it? He says this. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. I don't know if you read scripture sometime or you hear people like myself get up here and pontificate. And you say to yourself, what in the world does that mean? Well, this is one of those places where I say that. What is he talking about? The ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He's referring directly to the devil and the devil's workers in the spiritual unseen realm that we began to talk about last week. And so you have three identifying battlefronts, I call them in there. And then he says this, and it moves into the beautiful part of Ephesians. Ephesians is such a strong letter of confidence and victory in who we are in Christ and what Jesus has done He says this in verse 4, But because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You ever hear that verse? That's a beautiful verse, but it comes right on the heels of the world and the flesh and the devil. And it says you are flatlined, you are dead, you are hopeless, but God reached down in his mercy and he says, let me do something about this. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who took upon himself our sins. He died on a cross. He rose from the grave victoriously. He ascended to the heavens. He's coming back again. There's a whole huge story that's going on. And right at the center of the huge epic of the all eternity is this beautiful, powerful truth that Jesus Christ, God himself, did something so you don't have to be flatlined but you can be alive. And that's why I like the name of our church. The Awakening Church. Fully alive in Christ and to his mission. Now, I understood diagrams helped a little bit last week, so guess what? You get more diagrams. In fact, you're going to have a lot of diagrams probably, so hang with me. I know you can't quite see all that's written on some of these diagrams, but if you can lean into them, in fact, you don't have to try to sketch these things. You can go online to the message site, and all the slides are there in a PDF file if you want to have them, all right? Now you're all relaxed, and that's good. Your personal battlefronts from the Ephesians 2 passage are these things. There's the world. The ways of the world, there is the flesh, the cravings of our sinful nature, and there is the devil, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. These are your three battlefronts. They're my three battlefronts. Every morning I get up, I know what the battlefronts are. I don't have to decide, okay, there's going to be bombardment from the ways of the world that are around me, and I need to be mindful of that. I am going to have to continue to uh, recognize that even though I am in Christ and I'm alive in him, I still have one foot in Adam. I'm going to die physically one of these days. When I die, I'm going to be raised from the grave, and God's going to give me a new uh, immortal body to live forever. But right now in this world, I still have one foot in Adam, even though I am in Christ. And because I have a foot in Adam, and that's a lot of theology there, don't get lost in it, I have a sinful nature. That's a battlefront for me in the morning. So when I get up and I want to be snippy to somebody in the family or to the dog 
who didn't get let out last night, and we had an evidence of it this morning. I have to say to myself, I am not going to allow that sinful nature to control me. And then I also get up in the morning. I don't think about this every morning, so don't think I'm like somebody freaked out on it. But I know I have an adversary, the devil, the kingdom, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, who is out to torpedo my life. And maybe not torpedo it today, just maybe frustrate it. Those are my three battle fronts. What about you? Are you mindful of those every day? Every day. It doesn't matter what mountaintop experience you're on or how well you're doing spiritually or in the Word. you got those three battle fronts, and we all have those three battle fronts until the day we pass from this life into the next when God restores everything to the way it's supposed to be. Jesus had the battle with the devil. He was tempted in all ways such as us, but yet without sin, he didn't succumb to his sinful nature. And he had the ways of the world around him all the time. He had people telling him that he needed to overtake the Romans and set up a political kingdom. Jesus says, that's not what I came to do. I came to set up a kingdom, a reign in the hearts of people first. Those battlefronts. Now, as we're on these battlefronts, we need to know that there's a primary way to um, direct our return fire if you will. The first is the ways of the world. It says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, do not be conformed any longer uh, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, your mind. All right, so we renew our mind in order to fight the world, the ways of the world. That's why it's important for you to, to be in the word of God. Truth. Where are you getting your truth from? The news? From, uh, you know, lunchroom conversations at work? Where are you getting your truth from? So I renew my mind to battle the ways of the world. And it says in Galatians 5, 16, and 17 that we have to choose to live in the spirit, that we have the good dog and the bad dog, the sinful nature and the, uh, and the Holy Spirit dwelling within us if we're Christ followers. And we have to yield and continue to live to the spirit side and feed that side, not the bad side. And we spent you know, several weeks on this recently talking about how to live in the spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, the reason there's a hyphenated line on this diagram is because the majority of our battle, day in and day out, is above the line. It's the world and the fallen sinful nature. Yep, the engine of the adversary, the devil's behind that, right? He brought about the fall, and he's, you know, the person that controls a lot of the thinking in the world that's around us. But it is rightful, week in and week out, at churches in Bible studies, in life groups, for us to talk about being able to renew the mind, to fight against the ways of the world, and to live in the spirit so that we don't allow the sinful nature to lead us into bad places. So that's where most of our battle is. However, there is this battle with the devil himself, what's below the hyphenated line. The ruler of the kingdom of the air, and there's really only one way that scripture teaches us to deal with him. You have to confront him. You have to overcome the enemy. You have to flee from him. You have to bring authority to the place. We're going to be talking about that more in the coming weeks. But the reality is there is the third battlefront. And one of my goals in this series in October is to just get us to reckon with what's below the hyphenated line. Do you reckon with it? 
And could it be that some of the challenges in your life, whether emotionally, physically, spiritually, even financially, career-wise, other things, that there could be something else in the mix that's a battlefront? That there is an author of evil, and he's trying to take you out. Now, sometimes you get into Christian circles where... um, they ignore what's below the hyphenated line. I just never hear it. Then you get into other Christian circles you can, and everything's below the line. You know what I'm saying by that? I mentioned last week, is, you know, is it related to all this, that, that you can err on both sides. And this is probably one of the most famous quotes written back in the 1940s by C.S. Lewis, who's a great Christian man, uh, wrote a lot of very thinking kind of stuff. He was an atheist, came to know Christ, and just marvelous, marvelous. He also wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, was a contemporary of um, Tolkien, which we talked about last week, the Lord of the Rings, and C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. But C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. How many of you ever heard of The Screwtape Letters? I really encourage you to go get this book and read it, because if you want to know some of the scheming, the real-time scheming that's happening from the adversary below the hyphenated line, he outlines it. And he says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. I mentioned last week that there was a college professor, a theology college professor, that said he didn't think, at least it was told to me, that he didn't think that there was a demon within 50 miles of the campus. All right? Uh, Okay. But what about the other side of people that think there's a demon under every bush? I don't like either side. All right? And something like the screw tape letters, the screw tape letters is a lead demon by the name of screw tape uh, is writing notes and letters to a sub demon he's over con- that he's overseeing by the name of Wormwood. And he's saying, OK, this is what you do. This is how you take them out. All right. This is what you do. This is how you take them out. And the person that Wormwood was working on oh, became a Christian. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's over, right? Wormwood's on to another assignment. No. Screwtape then says, this is how you take out a Christian. And it's just a fascinating read through these letters. The Screwtape letters, read it. But uh, I appreciate what C.S. Lewis is saying in the uh, preface of this book because you can err on both sides, above the hyphenated line or below the hyphenated line. And so what we're going to continue to do today is to educate as well as hopefully inspire you with the victory we have in Christ, but educate so that you can be better at coming up against the attacks of the enemy. I understand the ways of the world, the flesh. I understand renewing the mind. I understand living in the spirit. But for this month, we're not above the hyphenated line. We're below the hyphenated line, dealing with the devil, his direct attacks, and how does he work in this world. You got it? Now, here's the problem with some of us going below the hyphenated line. I'm understanding this. It's an uncomfortable place to go. You with me? We don't like to talk about it. I would rather just ignore it. All right? But you have to go below the hyphenated line. You ever been in a place where you feel uncomfortable? I remember the first time that my wife and I ended up at a five-star hotel, and they had all the fancy stuff. And we were, I mean, we were just, you know, small-town kind of people. And it's like this big conference. I'm like, 
I feel uncomfortable here. I don't know what's going on, right? You can take a social elite person and throw them in a third world country, and they're going to feel what? Awkward. How do I deal with this? I had the beautiful opportunity, as well as a friend who's actually here with me this week, to be on jury duty all week. <laughs> I sat on a 12-person jury. That was experience, but it was a new experience. Now, I didn't necessarily feel awkward, but I felt a little bit out of place, and then you got a little bit more comfortable in the deliberations, and then you got a little bit bolder, and some people probably wish that I would just shut up, probably. But, you know, you're, you're in this criminal case on firearms for a felon was what it was about, and we end up with a hung jury if you want to know where the story's going. So I don't know if that's a waste of the week or whatever, but uh, I got to meet a friend. And so um, we uh, are in this environment, and I'm feeling a little awkward. In fact, what's protocol etiquette? I like to ask questions. You know, part of me, I'm sitting there on the jury, and they're presenting things, and I just want to raise my hand and go, hey, I got a question for the guy on the stand. You can't do that there. That's not the way the system works, right? All of us know what it's like to be in an environment where we feel uncomfortable. I am mindful in these weeks that some of you are very uncomfortable. Even the word devil or demon or possession, deliverance, whatever terminology gets flown out, you're like, okay. And then you're like, is this church going to be okay? Which way are we going? Friends, the majority of the time, we're going to be above the hyphenated line. But I've learned this over the 35 years I've been in ministry. I am tired of the church being blind to what's underneath the hyphenated line. And we have to deal with this. And so when you have an event like the shootings in Las Vegas this week, you have to have context for which to talk about it and discuss. Do you have that context? We're on that journey. I've placed this conversation, though, on this pathway of being a disciple. And I want you to understand this, because the reason we're going below the hyphenated line and talking on spiritual warfare and the antics and the schemes of the devil is because Jesus did this. When he called them, when he called them to himself, when he set them on a path of obedience, gave them a rich community around them, told them to serve, to be on his mission, smack in the middle of it is the call to bring freedom to people. And bringing freedom to people is setting them free from their sinful nature and letting them experience the forgiveness of God's grace. Thank you, Jesus. Part of bringing freedom to people is to be able to say to them, hey, that's just the mindset of the world or your friends around you. You don't have to go that direction. Renew your mind. But part of bringing freedom, and sometimes it's a direct encounter, is freeing people of the strongholds of the devil and his workers themselves. And so freedom has to do with healing, inner healing many times, deliverance and empowerment for people. And you better stop along this station on the way of being a disciple or you're going to be handicapped. I especially believe this to be true in the world in which we're living, which is moving from a modern world to not just a postmodern world, but to another kind of realm of belief. And we have all kinds of things now starting to raise their heads. Not just the violence, but what people are getting involved in, understanding, oh, is this is true? Maybe this is my worldview. Maybe this happens, this happens. You have to be equipped, both knowing and in serving um, the purposes of Jesus. So last week we talked about the modern worldview. And Peter Berger, a sociologist, says that we live in a world without windows. And most of the time we just think, well, it's just us. This natural world, the humans, the animals, the plants, and the matter, the material universe, that's what it is. And we tag this as the visible things of this world. So the visible things of this world is what we spend most of our time on. And this is it. 
So last week we threw up the blinds. We said there's a whole other world outside. We have to not live in a world without windows. And so we came across the reality that we could uh, sort of then, okay, let's open up our life. There is the supernatural. There's God. The invisible things of the other world. So you have the material universe and you have the heavens. Now, I believe this to be the prominent worldview of most Christians. In other words, most Christians would say to you, yeah, we live this life. Jesus is coming again. I want to go to heaven, yada, yada, all that kind of stuff, right? But you're saying, in essence, that this is the world in which I live, this world, one day in the sweet by and by, when we're called up yonder, over there, we're going to be in the other world. I'm not so sure it's that much of an other world. I think this world and the other world are more mixed than we would like to think. But in our minds, and I think it's an antic of Satan, he says, so you want to believe in the other world, then you just believe it's out there. After death, it's other than. You can pray to God. You can do all kinds of church things to make yourself feel better. But that's other world. You live in this world. So go at it. And so we have this dichotomy, all right, between the invisible things of the other world and the visible things of this world. But here's the reality. The word of God became flesh. Jesus came flesh. God himself came into this earth. And that shows you right there that there's a mixing of worlds. This is not some rigid line. God came. He lived. He died. He rose from the grave. And he empowers us through his spirit if we choose to be a follower of his. And so what's going on in this world is God and the supernatural is intervening. And many of us could stand up this morning and give witness the invisible invaded the visible Jesus came into my life, and I am alive. I'm not flatlining. And so that's great to move to that place. But I want to challenge you to move to even a further place, and the further place has to do with what uh, Paul Hibbert, a missionary, uh, a missiologist, an uh, archaeologist, uh, he, he, uh, anthropologist, I mean, he studied and, and dealt with people around the world, and he realized that the Western mindset has excluded the middle level. Of the world. He called it the excluded middle. And so we looked at this that there is this excluded visible uh, world. We have the visible things of this world, we have the invisible things of the other world, but there is this middle ground called the invisible things of this world. And the invisible things of this world, we said, well, are there angels? We know there's God. Yeah, Jesus came in the flesh, He was God Himself. There's the Holy Spirit, but what about those angels? Is there really a Satan? What about demons? Mm, just don't even like to say that name. Reminds me of some of those horror movies I watch. What about spirits? Is there the excluded middle? And I want to say again this morning, there is. The scriptures teach it. We live in it. We just need to open our eyes to it. A biblical world is this. There is God. He's totally separate than all creation, including angels and fallen Lucifer. He created all things. He created what's natural, humans, animals, plants, and matters. And he also created the angels, including archangels, cherubim, seraphim. I don't know when he did that. Some people say he did it between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. There's sort of like this gap theory. When, when did the heavenly beings get created? What happened with the fall? And that's all an interesting thing to speculate on. But here's the reality. We don't know fully. 
We just know that in the Garden of Eden, when the fall happened, that uh, Satan was already showing up on the scene through the serpent. And he deceived Adam and Eve. Jesus says in Luke 10, 18, looked at it last week, he said, when the disciples came back after casting out demons and healing sick people, proclaiming the kingdom of God, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He remembered, he knew. Who was Satan? Satan was Lucifer. Lucifer was an archangel. And Lucifer fell. He thought he deserved worship and power. He was kicked down of the heavens. And so we have a dark side, if you will, of creation. We have the loyal and good side, archangels, angels, the seraphim, cherubim, whatever's in that spiritual excluded middle realm. They entreat, they enlighten, they enliven, they empower. But then there's the dark side, if you will, evil and rebellious. Satan, an archangel who has fallen, named Lucifer, his demon, a third of the heaven's angels, it says, fell with him. Scripture alludes to that. So these spirit beings exist and they work with him. They are fallen dark angels. I usually refer to demonic spirits more as fallen dark angels, unclean spirits, because I sort of cringe with the word demon. All right. But they're all the same reality that we're looking at. And what do they do? What are their schemings? Their real time schemings are to deceive, to tempt, intimidate and to destroy. And the battlegrounds that exist are the battlegrounds that are around us. These battlegrounds exist in cultural systems, social systems, individuals and the inner self. The world, the flesh, and the devil, boom, right there in the center of not only the individual self, all right, and the inner self, but also in our systems, political, cultural, social. Why? Because they're all made up of people. So if those systems are made up of people, then they are broken people as well, and they have battles in those three fronts. Let's look a little bit more intently at this. I'd like to spend more time scripturally, but I need to keep moving. But I want to identify the reality of angels, Satan, demons, and spirits as um, portrayed a little bit in the Old Testament. I'm going to take on some of the New Testament teachings of Jesus next week and his encounters and the weeks after. But for the Old Testament, you have the fall in Genesis 3. You can read that. We gave reference last week to Job, Job 1 and 2, Job's trials. Remember Job? And we find this word written uh, in Job, one day these angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came before them. Job 1, verse 6. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered to the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. What? What? Satan? Fallen archangel Lucifer? He's like roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth. He himself said that in the book of Job, ancient book. Reminds me of the verse that's in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be alert and sober mind. Of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Mentioned last week, mentioned it again. His number one scheme is to bring death to you. And if he can't bring physical death, he will bring death to you emotionally. You're just sort of flatline. You are existing in this life, and there's no real joy or life or purpose or vision. You're flatline, just clocking in, clocking out, doing good, trying to stay on a straight and narrow. You are dead, though. And he sits back, as screw tape would say to Wormwood, and go, good job. Good job. You got them away from experiencing the abundant life God has. So Satan is roaming here in the book of Job. And you go, wow, that's, that's just really interesting. I, I love the part that just comes right next. Then the Lord said to Satan, verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job? 
There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. That's a pretty good job description there. Nice resume. I mean, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? That's a beautiful statement. It's one of the things I pray. We prayed before we started this service. A hedge of protection. Lord, cover your place. Let this be a place of sanctuary. I'm mindful in the spiritual realm that those words mean something and they have power to them. Do you? What about your household and your family? Does it have a sense of protection? What would happen if we pulled back the curtains into the unseen realm? Maybe there's something that's happened in your life recently and you are trying for the life of you to figure out why that didn't go the way you wanted it. Ever read the book of Job? He lost a lot of stuff. There was some testing ground happening behind the scenes concerning what was happening in Job's life. He didn't know it at the time. In fact, God got frustrated with him to some degree at the end and said, who are you? And he throws out 66 questions at the end of the book of Job. Where were you when the foundations of the earth were? Where were you? And it's like Job says, okay, I repent in dust and ashes. I, I am here. I am in this small little world. I don't understand the greater world. I defer to you, God. So Job is a good example of this unseen spiritual realm, the excluded middle level. And then you go to the second Kings 515. And I love this story. Uh, the story here is of Elisha and the king of the Ar- Arameans. And the king of the Arameans was wanting to defeat uh, the Israelites. And he would have these schemes and these tactics to defeat the Israelites. And it was like he had a leaker in his, uh, his, his cabinet. And he got so upset. He says, why is it that every time we get our army and we go after the king of Israel, they already know what we're doing and they're not there? What's happening? Finally, they approach this this uh, king, this foreign king, and say, "Well, <clears throat> when the servant of the man of God, who was Elisha, that's the man of God, got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now?" The young man cried to Elisha. Well, what happened in this situation was the king that was trying to defeat Israel. He sent a whole host of people, huge army, horses chariots because they had said oh elisha he's the guy it's like he's in your bedroom listening and actually says that in scripture he says but this is where we found him to be and he's like all right i'm going after the leaker and he says i'm sending this army elisha's servant wakes up he sees this and he walks outside and he goes oh no this is not a good day this is not going to work well troops horses and chariots everywhere he goes to elisha what will we do now don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the eyes of the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses, chariots of fire. Elisha was delivered from that moment and moved forward, and never again did they have to deal with that particular king and those people. Huh? Well, he was just saying make-believe. Look, come on. Everybody does make-believe. You see there's more of this. No. In that spiritual realm, the excluded middle, the invisible of this world, he saw the angelic hosts. I have not seen angelic hosts. I do get around people every now and then who I think have. 
Sometimes when I see my special need Down syndrome son singing and praising Jesus and talking to somebody who I think he's seeing the angels. They're real. That spiritual realm. And the third Old Testament thing I just wanted to bring attention to here in our time this morning is Daniel 10, 12 through 14, but the whole chapter of Daniel 10. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Who said that? This was a mighty, powerful angel that appeared to Daniel. Daniel had a vision. He didn't know what the vision was about. He pleaded with God for 21 days. He prayed, I need to know. God, come visit me or tell me, inspire me, help me to understand. So here's Daniel. This is one of those, really? This messenger came and said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in the heavens. I have come to an answer to your prayer, but for 21 days the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. What? Some unclean, dark, evil host, prince of Persia, territorial prince, blocked his way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. So the archangel coming to help another angel messenger. And I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I'm here to explain what happened to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. And you read on and also talks about the, you know, Mike, uh, Michael going to battle with the uh, prince of Persia. And then there's the prince of Greece. And you're like, what? What's happening in the spiritual realm? This is a biblical worldview, friends. We live in a Western, modern worldview that has moved past this, and so we've forgotten about that world. I don't know about you. I don't like the wool being pulled over my eyes, whether it's with one of my children not telling me the truth or whether it's a politician or whatever it may be. I want to know the truth. We, as Christian followers, and if you're, a Christ, if you're a God seeker this morning, you should have a passion to know the truth. And the truth is this. There is a spiritual realm beyond this visible realm. There is the excluded middle level, the invisible in this world. I want to talk about a couple dimensions of spiritual warfare as it relates to this excluded middle. This is going to be um, just touched on here. We don't have time to talk about it much other than what I just did. There is a cosmic level warfare. This comes from a guy by the name of Chuck Kraft, who I've interfaced with, and he's been involved a lot in spiritual warfare, deliverance work, uh, mentoring kind of person to me. Cosmic level warfare, there are territorial spirits over territories, like Daniel 10 we just looked at. There are special function spirits over worldly vices. There's institutional spirits, he believes, over organizations and religions. There's spirits attached to objects, buildings, and rituals. Yes, that can be true. Ancestral spirits, demons masquerading as ancestors. Friends, nobody comes back from the dead. It's a point a man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. You live into eternity, either in the presence of Christ, because you've chosen that, or outside the presence of Christ for eternity, because that's what you chose in this life. But people do not come back from the dead. All right? But demons can mimic it. In fact, they're fabulous for doing it. Oh, I'm in a seance. I need to hear from my deceased father to give me some guidance. (gasps) I hear that voice. How did he know those things about me? It's all a charade. Cosmic level warfare. Then there's ground-level warfare, and this is where we'll spend our time at this whole month. 
There's family demons assigned to families that are inherited. There's occult demons representing occult allegiances. Occultic stuff is not child's play. Stay clear from it. There's ordinary demons attached to sinful actions, attitudes, and the emotions of people. I present these two dimensions of spiritual warfare just so you have some context. Because it's important for us to not be overwhelmed by this whole subject. Believe me, I've been involved in deliverance work since my friend found deliverance I mentioned last week, 32 years ago when I was in graduate school. I get overwhelmed by a lot. I don't spend a lot of intense time studying every turn about it. Again, I'm above the hyphenated line with most of what I do. But when I do start to look below the hyphenated line, I'm mindful there's more than meets the eye. I like the idea of two divisions of dimensions of spiritual warfare, cosmic level, ground level. Some people debate as to if you should even be involved in trying to go after the cosmic level stuff. People that pray over territories and turf and all that, I think that's valid and it's every, there's right to it. But I've seen the um, extreme edge go down that direction. And it's not that they're demons under every bush kind of people, but it's like, don't be so intense in that. Let's see what's happening back here in the visible this world kind of thing. But I do feel in the ground level warfare as it relates to um, unclean spirits that have wreaked havoc in families and individuals' lives that I've seen a lot of powerful things happen of God free people in those areas. And so as a disciple, when Jesus sent them out, he said to heal the sick, right? Minister to the poor, cast out demons. It was just commonplace in that worldview. Why is that not true of our life? And proclaim the kingdom of God's at hand. In other words, share with them about the opportunity to follow me. Ground level warfare is predominantly where my experience has been. Ephesians 6.10, familiar verse, but this is the one that identifies the schemes. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a whole host right there in that excluded middle. I don't understand it all. It's in the spiritual realm. Maybe it's a cosmic level kind of deal. But I do know that I need to take my stand against the devil's schemes in my own life and in the lives of other people. There is battle below the hyphenated line, and we need to overcome the enemy. Second Corinthians 10.3 says this, powerful. For though we walk in the flesh, in these broken, sinful vessels, right? We are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey God, to obey Christ. The weapons of our warfare are not petty little, oh, here's my pencil. I'm going to go after somebody, right? They're powerful weapons. But the weapons are based off the finished work of Jesus Christ in the cross. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Can I go a little bit further below the hyphenated line? Are we okay with that this morning? Some of this uncomfortable turf. The devil and his workers have varying degrees by which they attack people on the ground level. 
When I see something like the tragedy that happened this last Sunday, I think to myself, I wonder what kind of ground-level warfare was happening in that man's life. Yeah, a fallen sinful nature. Broken man. He was wrong. He's accountable for it. He's accountable for it in this day of eternity, taking people's lives, hurting people, and traumatizing people. But I wonder what kind of battles he had going on. Not in his brain. All the discussion about it. He's mentally deranged. Why is it that our world only has that to talk about when it comes to brokenness in people's lives? You see, we live in this modern world that doesn't talk about the soul, the fallen sinful nature. Something could have been wrong with his brain. I understand physiological issues. I have a son with an extra chromosome. I understand that. I understand people that have been through head traumas. I understand people that have been through some other traumatic kind of things that cause PTSD or whatever it may be. You can have mental problems. But why is everything attached to, oh, he had a mental problem. Maybe he had a heart problem, sinful nature, broken and corrupt. He fed it and fed it and fed it. And he became consumed by the adversary. His mindset of the world took him down to certain kinds of dogmas and doctrines. I know not. This is all speculation, but just hang with me on this. But he was in this vortex that sucked him into something. And in the midst of that, below the hyphenated line, he had attachments in a dark spiritual realm that became a part of his life. And he was demonized. Where's that on the evening news? Oh, that's the weird stuff. You Christians, you go there. Well, it's the excluded middle. Could it not be true? We just looked at some scriptures. We could look at others. Our fight's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, evil forces, and high places. Could have he been demonized? And the word, reason I use the word demonized is I don't like the word demon-possessed. Demon-possessed does not exist in scripture anywhere. The Greek word is demonization, and there's varying levels of demonization that happen in ground-level warfare. So I give you this diagram. Whoops. I lost myself, didn't I? Now where am I at? I'm really way back there. I'm below the hyphenated line. Joe, I need that diagram there. You got it? Nope. Move me to the diagram that has this loop up and down. Demonization. Greek word, the devil, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the strongholds, there's external and there's internal. This is just brief today. We'll unpack this a little bit more. You call your terminology what you want. Temptations, frustrations, oppositions, obsessions, oppression, bondage. There is external warfare that we all deal with. That's why Ephesians 6 is directed towards us as believers. We need to take our stand against the devil's schemes by putting on the full armor of God. But there is a gateway of entry where the unclean spirits are no longer wreaking havoc externally, but they've now become occupants in the mind, the will, the emotions, and they inflict varying degrees. There's minor internal demonization, severe afflictions, attacks, vexations, possessions. I'll even put that word down at the end. The most demonized person that we have recorded in scripture is the man of Gerasenes who came up out of the tombs. He approached Jesus and he said, what do you want? 
Jesus cast the demons out of that man, that man still had his will intact to come to Jesus for help. The Hollywood versions of demonic things are not accurate. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a procedure, physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of the God, of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. It says all this in Colossians 2, verses 11 through 15. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. And then I love verse 15. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. It says he triumphed over them by the cross. The real-time schemer, the world, the flesh, and the devil, below the hyphenated line is demonization, can afflict a person, all of us externally. Some people have had a gateway of entry internally. There's some more education today. What you need to anchor your thoughts on leaving, though, is that Jesus triumphed over them by the cross. There's no reason to have ignorance because Scripture can teach, God can teach. And there's no reason to have fear because in Christ we stand against the enemy and he runs. He runs. I promised a few minutes before we close to just open up and do a little bit of a Q&A. I know it's intense. It's a lot. But maybe you have a brief statement, a thought. Maybe you have a brief question I can answer. But part of this getting over the fear thing is for us just to have discussion about. I had a great discussion in our life group this week. And, you know, I don't mean to bring a big heavy to your world in October. All right? But I do believe God's called us to equip ourselves as disciples in this world to make other disciples. And part of that is to find freedom for ourselves and for others. And some of that freedom comes in this area of spiritual warfare. So thoughts, comments, questions. If I can't answer it today, I want to answer it some other time. I'll give reference to that. Maybe you have a statement or a thought or a word of victory. Anyone? Let me go here with Frank. You said the Bible doesn't teach us how to be but it does. And there's an example of it on like the demon that takes over somebody. The Greek word demon possessed, as we think of that terminology, demon possessed, is not in the Greek. It's the word demonized. And it referred to varying degrees of control. Usually we think someone's demon possessed is like, oh, they're foaming at the mouth. Oh my gosh, they're weird, like, you know, a Hollywood scene. No, a demonized person can be afflicted and not have a lot of external kind of trouble issues being related. And so I'm saying scripture teaches the terminology of demonized, demonization, not the term demon possessed. The man of the Gerasenes was the most internally demonized person that you'll find in scripture but he was not possessed to the degree that he didn't have his will intact to be able to come to Jesus to get help. That's what I'm saying. Joe.
okay? Right. Yeah. Yes, good. So the question is, how do you know the difference between being oppressed by a demonic spirit in the spiritual realm and this whole process of sanctification or the process of becoming Christ-like? Because that's a journey, correct? So it's a journey that we're on. Well, it's a journey that we're on in all three areas, in my opinion, is that there is overcoming the ways of the world, overcoming the sinful nature, living in the spirit. That's what a lot of sanctification, being set apart, becoming more Christ-like is like. But there's also this process of being aware of the enemy and that there could be attacks. Maybe there's patterns of lifestyle, sin patterns. Maybe it's something that's been passed down even generationally that we need to be wise to and say, okay, there's something more that meets the eye than just the world and the flesh. There's actually an oppressiveness that's come upon in this situation and to identify it. And we'll talk more about some of that discovery of how do you know uh, those things both externally and if there's been a gateway of entry and if it's internally. Anybody else? That's a good question. You want to take a stab at it? All right, back here on the back row. Yeah. Sure, a testament? Great. Okay. 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 Hmm. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you. Your first name is Lily. Thank you, Lily. The uh, testimony there, just that there was your son, you said, was traumatized with some demonization issues, however it may be, and he was freed and through prayers and some stuff, and just the need for the knowledge of that. It's really one of the reasons, Lily, and the rest of you, that I stand up here and I attempt to take this on, because I often say to myself, when I've walked somebody through deliverance or whatever, where would have they gone? If they hadn't had, not that I'm special or anything, but this is a part of bringing healing and freedom to people's lives. And we need to be knowledgeable of it, be able to identify it, and be able to work in the power of Christ towards people that are afflicted. Afflicted. And one of the things, and, and um, you got the training video there, to, uh, the slide to put up when we're going to do some training on this at, uh, first weekend in November. Um, and if you want to be a part of that, just write the word training on your connection card so I have a count of, of who's going to be a part of it. Um, it's the very last slide. And um, the lack of knowledge and experience causes us to move to places that we pull back. I have to work on the other end of things that I don't get too commonplace with it. Having worked with probably, um, well, probably 80 some different people in times of testing and trying to find things out. 
and some of them had stuff and we had to free them. But um, this is why I deal with this word demon-possessed because it's afflictions. It's oppression. I can see oppression be external or internal. And the analogy is sometimes used as if somebody has a cold. They have the sniffles. They have headaches. They aren't looking too good. You see them during the course of the day, and you go, are you all right? Oh, it's fine. I, you know, I possess a cold today. But at no time does that person look at you and go, I'm cold-possessed. You just don't. And so demonic spirits, there's this affliction that comes on them that, that drives them. And we can explain some of those terms a little bit more in the coming weeks. But I want to see people freed from that. I don't want them to have to carry around this cold. Now, that may seem a little too facetious or light to you. But I don't cringe with an unclean spirit when I'm in Christ. I will take up the full authority of Christ and command them to leave pray over people full confidence because they have no rights to bring that affliction. Amen? God's a healer. All right, we're going to continue on next week. Joe, can we do that song? I just We just need to pick ourselves up to finish out with a song. I want to encourage you that you um, uh, continue to be open. I know this is unfamiliar turf. If you've got questions, I'm more than glad to interact with those questions. I'm actually going to sort of hang up here and try to answer some questions. Um, Even though I'd like to get to know some of you that are new today, you can come up and talk to me. But we need to just continue to move forward as a body of people and have understanding in this and become empowered and equipped to do the work, the faithful work Jesus has taught us to do. He is the cornerstone, and uh, he is the one on which everything stands. So with that, we're going to take the Lord's tithes and offerings and receive your Connect cards. You can put a question on there even if you want. Um, If you want to be a part of the training, write that on there. But let's sing this as we...